I'm over the moon to welcome Allison Baggerly to Fulfilled today. Allison is one of my favorite follows on social media, and I am a huge fan of her Inspired Budget podcast. She's a teacher turned money coach, a mother, and an all-around great human being. She's been featured in publications like Forbes, People, and NerdWallet, and Allison works with women to give them the tools they need to pay off debt, all while growing in confidence with their money management. She's spreading joy, budget basics, and teaching the things that are going to show you how to create freedom and peace in your life. Here she is, Allison Baggerly of Inspired Budget. Hi, I'm Tracy, an impassioned lady on a quest to slay working motherhood and find fulfillment. I'm here to help you navigate the beautiful and damned in the life of a working mom. I'm a PA, mom, wife, and lover of fashion who is guiding my fellow working moms to ditch the dread and find fulfillment in the wonder and the war zone that is modern motherhood. I teach you the clinical pearls you need to create a life you love, pearls you can apply today to change your life tomorrow. Skirt around those heavy real-life topics? No way. Here you'll get an unfiltered ringside seat. You'll hear about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Parenting, step-parenting, marriage, motherhood, faith, and finances are all topics we will sit down and unpack together. Think of this as your one-stop shop for all the motivation and encouragement you need to help navigate working motherhood. Each week, it's like a mom's night out had a baby with a TED Talk. Then the mom's night out went back to work. Pull up a seat, get settled, and get ready to be inspired and encouraged. This is Fulfilled, the podcast. Allison, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Tracy. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So if you could take a moment to tell us a little bit about you, what do you do when you aren't championing women to win with money? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a wife. I'm a mom. Um, and so I think a lot of my time is spent with my kids and my family. You know, I, I'm built this business where I can take my kids to school, pick them up from school, be the be the person that's kind of there when they're sick, they're at home, we're involved in a lot of different of our kids' extracurriculars. So I feel like really what I do is I follow my kids around. I take them where they need to go. Um, we enjoy camping. We enjoy being outdoors. We have a little pop-up camper that we are, you know, taking on trips. And so really when I'm not focusing on helping women with money, I'm just enjoying my life that I have with my kids. You know, I um, – I'm sure this will resonate with you. Whenever my son graduated preschool, I'll never forget his teacher read a book about how you only have, um, I don't know, it was like, I don't know, how old are they at that time? Like 10 more summers or 12 more summers left with your kids. Mm. And every year on my kids' birthdays, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I only have nine more summers. I only have nine of these times left with you. And so I want to make sure that we're spending it the way that we'll look back and say we, we use the most of that time together. It's interesting how the terminology and the thought behind spending time and spending money runs mm-hmm. so closely in tandem. Yes, it is. Yeah. It is. And, you know, I, I think some people will use the fact that their kids are going to be, you know, leaving as a reason to overspend or a reason to go into debt. And I think that that's a very common belief and it comes from a very limited mindset. 
And so I see it instead as, you know, obviously to make some of these memories, we might have to spend some money, but we've also found ways to create memories that don't include spending a lot of money. And therefore, because they don't include spending a lot of money, we can do them over and over and over again more often. And you're not stressed about them or feeling guilty about the activity because you know you can't afford it as you're doing it. Exactly. 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 Awesome. So if you would be willing to share with us a little bit about your story of how you guys paid off debt and how that went on to change the course of your life. Of course. So, you know, my husband and I met, we never talked about money. I was an elementary school teacher. He is a middle school band director still. And we met and just fell in love. It was very fast. We were married just over a year after meeting, actually. And we never talked about money because I didn't know anything about money. He had some bad experience with credit card debt and everything like that. And I'm sure there was shame he was working through. For me, it was just complete ignorance and not even aware, you know, just not even aware that this was something we should have been talking about. So when we got married... We actually got pregnant on our honeymoon um, as a surprise, surprise, and (laughs) uh, it was a lot sooner than I had planned on having kids. I was very scared. I was very overwhelmed. I was very nervous, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, okay, well, you know, we're two incomes now instead of one. This is good, and when we realized that we were going to have to pay daycare, I, I started looking at how much would that be, and I realized we couldn't afford it. With the way we were spending money now, there was no way that we could afford to make our make any daycare payments. And at that moment, I remember my husband and I were in this small little two-bedroom apartment, and we were sitting at my grandma's old table. So it was a kitchen table that had been passed down from my grandma to my mom to me. I took it, you know, whenever you move out, you usually raid, you raid, yep. you raid your parents' home of things that are old and they don't need anymore. And I took this kitchen table and we had these mismatched Ikea chairs. And I remember sitting there with my head in my hands thinking, what are we going to do? And that's the day we totaled up our debt. And I had no idea we had over $111,000 worth of debt. And our minimum debt payments, just the bare minimum for everything was over $1,400. And In that moment, I felt like I was standing at the bottom of this mountain and I needed to climb my way to the top, but I had no trail to follow. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have the gear I needed. And I remember just thinking, I I don't want this for my life. I don't want this to be my life. But part of me was thinking, too bad. This is the life you chose because you married a teacher and you're a teacher and you're just never going to have a life where you can be debt-free and build wealth. You know, that was what part of me was saying. And in that moment, I had a choice of what was I going to listen to? Was I going to listen to the part of me that was saying, too bad, this is what you chose, live with it? Or was I going to listen to the part of me that was saying, no, there's got to be a different way. You don't know the way, but maybe you can find the way. And I chose to listen to that side. And so my husband and I started budgeting. We First, we saved money because we knew the hospital bills would would put us back. So we saved money and then we started paying off debt and we were able to pay off all of that debt, $111,000 in four and a half years, which is a long time, but on two teacher salaries and we had another kid along the way. So we increased our our, vaca- our vacation, <laughs> not vacation. Right, that would be nice. Our, yeah. <laughs> our daycare payments went from, you know, $800 a month to, to $1,600 a month or $1,500 a month. So we did it all in this, on this journey to 
um, be able to become debt-free. Awesome. And that has sparked you to teach other women? Yes. So I never thought I would do this. I, I really didn't. You know, whenever we were on this journey, I remember thinking when I was starting, I was like, this is miserable. Writing a budget sucks. I don't like it. I'm going to do it until I'm debt free. And then I'm done. Then I'm done with it. Right. And that was my thought process for a long time. That was my way of thinking. And it's funny because because we were on this journey for so long, learning how to budget, writing a budget became part of my identity. It became part of who I was. I was no longer budgeting. I was a budgeter. I was no longer trying to take back control of my money. I had control of my money. So it became a part of me, just like I am a wife, just like I am a mom, just like I am a daughter. I became this budgeter that was in control. And I loved that control. I didn't realize it was missing before, right? Because I was shoving everything in the closet and not dealing with it. And so when we became debt-free, I continued to talk about it. I was still talking about it. And I was, I, I hadn't put two and two together that this is something I could be like do for a living until one day um, I was visiting family at Easter and my cousin's wife, who I'm good friends with, Janet, she, I was talking again about budgeting and being debt free and all the things. Evangelizing, yes, you were evangelizing. Exactly. I'm like, come yes. over to my side. And she said, Allison, shut up. I was like, what? Janet. She was like, shut up. We've heard it. You come every year with the same thing to talk to us about. We've heard it. We're not the people that need to hear this. You need to bring this to people that need to hear it. Yeah. She was the one who said, you need to start an online business. And I was like, what is an online business? And thankfully, she had an online business. So she kind of became a mentor of mine. And, um, you know, two weeks later, I came up with the name Inspired Budget with my mom and my husband. And I bought the domain. And I mean, I just... I, I guessed along the way and tried to piece together this business where I could replace my teaching income and work on Inspire Budget full time. Awesome. And you have done a wonderful job of <laughs> that. You. I feel like on this journey, you are my Janet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm so honored to be someone's Janet because I'm so thankful for her. You know, I think that we need people that are ahead of us that are willing to turn around and reach back their hand and say, hey, I've I've walked this road before you. Let me help you out. And you know, you're, you're going to run into people that aren't willing to turn around and do that mm -hmm. because they're in it for themselves and they're in it for them. And they don't want to take the time to turn around and be there for you. And what I've learned is that I don't, number one, I don't want to be around those people. And number two, there are enough people in this world and even just this country that need help with their money that you can be successful and I can be successful. And every single one of us in this financial niche can be successful. And there will still be hundreds of thousands of people that we need to reach. It's impossible for us to reach them all. So to instead not turn back and be willing to help and be willing to mentor and be willing to guide along the way, to me, it's almost selfish because then you're, you, there's people that aren't going to be reached because mm -hmm. you want to hold that in on your, to yourself. Yeah, for sure. Hey, if you're like most moms I talk to, you are beyond busy. And budgeting seems like just one more thing on your never-ending to-do list. What if I told you that instead of feeling like that, you could use a system where you could spend less time worrying about money and more time enjoying your life? If that sounds good to you, how about living into your passion and purpose and having the money to do so without stress? 
or maybe saving for kids' college while getting out from underneath your student loans and still not feeling like you're sacrificing your entire lifestyle. The Budget Bundle can help you to do all of that and more. It's a pen-to-paper budget sheet you can use for 90 days to build a budget each month that's going to work for your family. It gives you step-by-step instructions, printables. It's everything you need to go from someone who wishes she could budget, knows she should budget, uh, to a confident and calm budgeter. You can find the link to download the guide in the show notes or head on over to tracy-bingaman.mykajabi.com slash bundle to get your copy today. So there's something that you said earlier about uh, it wasn't that I was budgeting, but now I became mm-hmm. a budgeter. And yeah. so tell me about what that transition felt like. Do you Did you feel like budgets were restrictive and now they're freeing? Mm-hmm. What other shifts happened in that process for you? Oh my gosh. So when we first started budgeting, we did it all wrong, right? We basically, number one, we just didn't know. We just didn't know all of our expenses. So where there were just items completely missing. <laughs> so it already, that was like, you know, how do you stick to something if it's not even matching your real life? And so through the process of trying again and again and again, we were able to write budgets that almost matched what we thought was going to happen, right? No budget is perfect because you you don't see any of these unexpected expenses that pop up. But we were feeling like, okay, this is matching. And that's when I was budgeting. When I became a budgeter is whenever I realized the control and peace of mind that writing my budgets gave me. I started looking forward to it, not because I was angry at my debt and I wanted to pay off my debt. I started looking forward to budgeting because I I knew that by doing this act, it would give me peace of mind. It would help me be successful and it would just overall help me be in better control of my money. So I was craving the control. And that's when I think it switched for me. Um, and I think that everyone can have that shift, right? I think that you have to go through the mistakes and the bumps along the way to get to where it's part of your identity instead of just something you do. Oh yeah, for sure. And so just writing a budget is not enough. So <laughs> so, so let's talk about that. So you and I could say, oh, so for this month, everyone write down mm-hmm. random numbers and decide what you're going to spend. Let's talk about executing the budget. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that number one, it's important for your budget to be realistic. So many people will write these super restrictive budgets that just don't match their real life. Like stop writing a budget for the version of you that you think you should be. And instead just write a budget for the version of you that you are, right? Like I think that's the first step. Write a budget for your unique family and realize that it's okay if it doesn't look like what you're seeing somewhere else. And if it's okay, if you're sending just, you know, only $500 extra to debt instead of $700 extra to debt. So I think that's the first thing. And then another thing that I think many people do is they write a budget and they put it in this binder and they don't look at it again until the next pay period. And that while you're writing a budget and you're budgeting, you're not checking back on your progress because life doesn't go as planned. Whose life goes 
Whose life goes according to plan? <laughs> mine. No one, no one who's listening to this podcast's no, life goes according not, to plan. Not mine. And so there's going to be changes you need to make. And so whenever life doesn't go as planned for me, I literally will write a new mini budget on an index card. So that way I have control over the next couple of, you know, until until my next paycheck. So I actually did this this morning before we recorded. I updated our tracking on my computer and my husband gets paid on Friday. And I said, okay, here's exactly how much money we have left in our account. I'm going to write a budget for this amount of money. Okay. And I asked myself, do we need to get gas? Yes. I'm going to need to get gas once. So there's $35. Uh, My husband doesn't need to get gas. So we're good. We're going on a camping trip this weekend. Okay. I'm going to need to set aside $50 for buying the food and supplies for camping. And I literally write it on an index card and I put that on the fridge so that I know exactly what my money needs to do in the next five days. So there is someone listening right now who feels like that won't work for them. They feel like they're too much of a free spirit, that they don't like to be controlled. What do you say to that person? That person needs a budget too or they're exempt? Oh no. I think you need a budget because the thing is, is you have the control. It's not that this piece of paper is telling you what to do. It's not that this budget is telling you what to do. You get to tell it what to do. So leave room in your budget to be a free spirit. Leave $100 in the next five days to spend on whatever you want. And if you don't spend it, great. You can send it to savings or save it for the next kind of free spirit spending. But I think that it can be very common to see this budget as this restrictive thing, almost like it's the boss of you. Mm-hmm. But really, all that is is your thoughts lying to you. It, the thought that the that your budget is it, the boss of you enters your mind and you assume, I don't want something to be the boss of me, so I'm not going to do a budget because I want to be able to do what I want to do. I'm an adult. I make adult money. I want to be able to do what I want to do, right? But where is the issue? The issue is the thought that entered your mind. The issue is not the budget at all. It's the way you're seeing the budget. So I think dealing with that first can allow anyone to see that budgeting doesn't hold them back, but allows them to live the life that they really want. Yes, so much so. I think budgeting has gotten a bad rap over the years. Oh, yeah. We're like... We're like the PR team for budgeting. <laughs> like try, we're like trying to give it a new image. Exactly. <laughs> Not bad, guys. I promise. <laughs> okay. So speaking of sort of some taboo topics. Mm-hmm. So growing up, and I don't know if you experienced this as well, no one really talked about money. Oh, yes. Let's talk about that. Yes. Because I had this realization. You know, I'm, I'm really trying to be aware of my privilege as – um, you know, a white woman. And also, you know, I, I am half Hispanic, half white. So, but, but I have privilege and I started realizing as I started learning more about just privilege that we have as white women, the, that learning about money as a child was a privilege. So how old are you, Tracy? I'm 32. Okay. So I'm 34. Our parents didn't have access to internet. They didn't have access to all of this. So what happens to our parents when they don't have access to social media where they can? there's people out there teaching about money? They don't have access to the internet where they can Google things, right? The only way for our parents to learn about money was that they had to have the privilege of someone else above them 
right? Some, some adult above them that knew about how to manage money and mm-hmm. they had to teach our parents. So that's one way. Another way is they had to have the privilege of knowing that they could read a book on money. Then they had to figure out what that book was. They had to know how to get a library card or be able to afford the book. Or they needed to know, I know that there might've been like, maybe they needed to have a newspaper subscription and be getting the newspaper articles and, and be able to read about it there. Or they need to know what radio stations to listen to talk radio. So there's a lot of privilege surrounding money from our childhood that I didn't realize at the time. So you have a parent's that maybe didn't have the privilege of knowing any of those things. And so they're trying to figure it out on their own. And how can they teach us if they are trying to learn it themselves? How, if they're in the thick of learning about this and they don't have the guidance, how is it even possible for us to expect them to have passed down information and knowledge? Right. So I see that as learning about money as a child was definitely a privilege because your parents had to have access to that. And they had to know what they were doing enough and the confidence enough to teach you. And so many people I'm talking to, their parents didn't have that. And so fast forward to today where we're in this world where we have the Internet, we have social media content creators teaching us about this. It's at our fingertips. And so now we're left with a choice. What are we going to do? Are we going to ignore it and say, this is not something I need to worry about? Are we going to say, you know what? I have all of these resources right here, podcast episodes I can listen to, all of the things that are free to me to learn so that way I can in turn teach my own kids and change the way that people learn about money. Absolutely. And I think that we used to feel like oh, you don't talk about your income. You don't talk Mm -hmm. about your debt. You don't talk about how much things cost or that money exists, which is such baloney because it does exist. Like you, you can't pretend that it doesn't, Mm -hmm. you can't live your life without it. So looking the other way isn't going to work. Well, and why is that taboo there from so long ago? Because our parents didn't know because Mm -hmm. there was not confidence because when you aren't well informed on a subject matter, you don't have confidence speaking about it. Right. So, so push it away, hide it away. I mean, like I wouldn't have any confidence talking about something that I don't know anything about. I wouldn't want to talk about it. So it's taboo because of those reasons, but thankfully, right. We're in a place to very slowly (laughs) change the way money is seen and the conversations that can be had about money. The holiday season is upon us. I don't know about you, but to me, this is one of the most busy, stressful, and most expensive seasons of the year. Combine the arm's length list of things to do, buy, wrap, and gift with all the activities that come along with celebrating this season, and it can quickly become more about consumption and less about connection. If you're looking for more connection in your life and less money stress, download the Merry Money Guide. It's free. It's a collection of 30 money-saving tips, a gift list to combine all of the things you're preparing to gift this season, and a framework for buying gifts that reminds us the reason for the season and encourages you to press pause on the desire to overconsume during this time. Head on over to tracy-bingaman.mykajabi.com slash merrymoney or click the link in the show notes to download your guide today and make this the least stressful holiday season yet. So tell me what you're doing differently with your boys so that they grow up 
not feeling the way that we did. Oh, yes. So I talk to them a lot about what we are saving for. So for instance, um, you know, my, my oldest son, he is nine years old and we actually have started talking about Christmas and what do you want for Christmas? And I don't know if any parents are listening to this with their kids, pause it now because he now knows that mom and dad buy Mm -hmm. the Christmas gifts. Right. Mm -hmm. And in the past it was magically appeared these beautiful, amazing, wonderful, expensive gifts from Santa. And, Now he knows, okay, mom and dad have this. And he was in the car the other day and he was trying to talk about what he wanted. And what he wanted was something. And I pulled up the price and it was like $500. And I was like, so we're not going to buy that. He said, why? Other people get these things. And I said, because we're saving for other things. We are saving for your college. We are saving for retirement. We are saving for you know, to take a trip to Disney and to go to Canada next summer. We are saving for things. And because we are choosing to do that, we have to, we can't, we can't do everything. And so we pull back on some of the Christmas gift, you know, so, so we have a budget. Mm -hmm. So we have to have those hard conversations. And we talk about, you know, when he says, can we buy something or can we get this? I'll say that's not in the budget this month, but maybe we can add it next month. So I try to have these conversations with them so they're aware that we do have boundaries with our money. We're not poor, but we do have boundaries with our money and we are saving for retirement. We've explained to them, you know, we don't want you to be in the position where you have to take care of us. We want to be able to be in a position where we leave money to you and we can take our grandkids on trips and we can we can have everything to where it doesn't fall on a burden for you. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's this, it's this balance of how do you talk about it without making them think that you're poor? Mm-hmm. I know like when I was younger, I think my son thought we were poor because I was saying no a lot. So how do mm-hmm. we have these conversations about it? And um, we let them see us have our budget meetings. My husband mm-hmm. and I don't argue during our budget meetings. You know, there's not name calling or finger pointing or anything like that. So because it's a healthy conversation, we let them see us have that healthy conversation every single week. You know, maybe they're not totally watching. I mean, they're not sitting at the table with us every time, but they're hearing and they're seeing it happen. Yeah. And I think those are the things that kids remember the most yes. is they're, they're watching us and oh, yeah. they're mimicking what we do. Exactly. So you mentioned um, some of your priorities aside from Christmas. So tell me how in your life you guys prioritize investing for retirement and college savings. Do you do mm-hmm. both? Which one do you do if you can't do both in mm-hmm. one month? What does that of look course. like for you? So this was actually kind of new for us because, you know, we are both teachers. I'm not a teacher anymore, but we have a pension and I need to actually roll my pension out because I don't think I'm going back in the classroom. But my husband has a pension and it's a set amount out of his paycheck every single month. And um, it's it's not a bad, it's not a bad gig, right? And so I'm not going to have that pension anymore because like I, I don't plan on going back into the classroom. So we do invest we max out Roth IRAs and um, we are starting to invest in other areas. However, we did decide that we would also start saving for college in a 529. And so we save um, probably only about, you know, maybe a third for college as we do for our retirement. Because ultimately, you know, you can't take out student loans 
for to cover your retirement. You can't take out loans to cover your retirement. And while I don't want to burden my kids with student loan debt, while I don't want them to walk out of college with, you know, these $800 per month payments, I also don't want to burden them whenever I'm older and I have to move in with them because I haven't prepared or I need to borrow or, you know, they're sending me money every month. So we prioritize investing over saving for our kids' college. Um, and, and and we've talked to them. And, and our college funding plan involves us, you know, saving money now, cash flowing it then, you know, cash flowing some of it, expecting them to apply for scholarships, and expecting them to work part-time. And between those four things, if we can't cover college, then we will pull out some student loans. So, but hopefully, right, in a perfect world, yeah. between those four things, we'll be able to afford it. Yeah, as a mom to a whole lot of kids, college is a very expensive yes. and daunting thing to just be thinking about and I saving know. for, especially what it's going to cost in 18 years. Exactly. But. I know. And and it's it, when it comes to kids' college, you just have to do the best you can. But you yep. cannot put your kids' college in front of your retirement, just period. Don't do it. Yes, yes. I could not agree more. Okay, I want to change gears a little bit and talk about debt reduction before we wrap up. So mm-hmm. what is your preferred method for people to use for debt reduction? Are you a snowball, an avalanche? What do you like oh, and gosh. why? You know, I think it depends on the person. This is my thing. I used to be debt snowball all the way. You know, that's the one. And if you go on my website, you'll probably find articles that say that, that I haven't updated. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, and that's what my husband and I did. Well, actually, that's actually not what we did. We actually needed to free up $800 a month cash flow. So that was our first goal. So we actually looked at the debt with the lowest balance, highest minimum payment. So oh, we kind of, you did a combo. We did a combo, <laughs> yeah. right? It was very, very, very specific. It wasn't even debt avalanche. It was just lowest balance, highest payment, get rid of that so we can free up as much cash flow every month. And then after we freed up enough cash flow, we did the debt snowball because I needed the motivation. I needed the celebrations. Now, my husband, he doesn't need that motivation and that celebrations to keep going. He doesn't need that win. He could have stayed focused the entire time and the debt avalanche would have been better for him. But ultimately, he wasn't doing it alone, right? (laughs) So we had to compromise on the debt snowball. So I think finding the way that you can stick to, that's the way that you should do it. Whether it's debt snowball, whether it's debt avalanche, whether it's what I did and you make up your own unique system, as long as you can consistently stick to it and you have discipline, do it that way. Because that's the way that you're going to get out of debt the quickest. So I have one more question. Sure. <laughs> of course. Um, so if someone is listening and they're like, this sounds great, but oh. my spouse would never be on board oh. or I could never talk my kids into doing mm-hmm. this or we've just grown accustomed to a certain lifestyle mm-hmm. and it would be hard to adjust that down. What do you say to that person? How can they approach their family in a way that is productive and not we're on a budget, so we're going to sell exactly. your car. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think definitely focusing, and I think you know a lot of us would say the same thing, is focusing on the end goal, right? It can be so easy to get lost in the details, and the details don't feel worth it. 
the small day-to-day sacrifices that really are can be really small, right? They don't have to be these grand, awful sacrifices. When you're focusing on the end goal, those day-to-day sacrifices are worth it. So every time when I was a teacher and I would write a lesson for a unit, maybe where I was teaching multiplication, I would always start with the end. I would say, what is it that my students need to learn? And I would work backwards from there. And that's what the best teachers do. They start um, they start with the end in mind. You need to have a date. You need to know what your goal is. And I would plan everything back from there. The same can be true with your money. What is your goal? What do you want to do with this extra money you have every month once you are debt-free? And present it like that. Discuss that goal, that end in mind first, and then work backwards and let them see naturally the steps that need to take for you to reach that goal. Yes, that is so powerful, starting with the why and not Mm -hmm. the what, because the what is not a whole lot of fun. (laughs) Um, But yeah, figuring out why why it matters, why it's important, what life will look like if you don't have payments anymore, that all seems much more worth it. Exactly. And sometimes it just comes down to compromise. Maybe one spouse doesn't want to go as hardcore as you, and that's okay. We can't always have it our way. And so it also comes down to compromise and saying, okay, well, if you're not willing to send an extra $1,000 a month to debt, like I want to, can we compromise on 500? Can we compromise on 600? Where's the compromise we can make? So that way we can consistently do this over time. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so getting that spouse on board and, and even if, you're a nerd like Allison and I, and you're like, but that will take longer. Like it's still more important to have your spouse on board than it is to do it as fast as possible. Yes. I couldn't agree more. Last, but certainly not least, where can listeners go to find and connect with you? Of course. So if you're listening to this podcast, you can find my podcast over, um, it's just the Inspire Budget podcast. You can search for it in whatever app you're listening to. You can also follow me on Instagram at Inspired Budget. I share real people budgets. I'm there daily. Um, Or you can go to inspirebudget.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Allison. Yes. Thank you. Until next time, keep on slaying your own fire-breathing dragons. Thank you so much for hitting play on another episode of Fulfilled, the podcast. I have a favor to ask. If you like what you heard today, please tell your friends. Take a screenshot and share it on social. You can tag me on Instagram at Mrs. Tracy Bingaman, and you can tag the podcast at Fulfilled Podcast. And please consider leaving a review. I'd love to hear what you think and your reviews can help other moms find me so they can grow alongside you. Oh, I almost forgot. Don't forget to subscribe so you get next week's episode automatically in your podcast queue. Instant inspiration and all the mom jokes? Yes, please. We'll see you next week on Fulfilled the Podcast.